Okay, uh, I want to warn you, I am moved this morning, okay? So, uh, if I seem somewhat out of control, I'm really not. I just seem like I am. Um, I'm moved by this text. Oh, I forgot my sword. This is bad. Here it is. Here it is. Okay. Uh, I have a sermon that I love to preach on the hallmarks of genuine biblical faith. It's a sermon talking about what real faith is supposed to look like in a real Christian's life. And if I gave you a moment or two, I bet you could come up with three of my four points. If I let you think about it for a minute, I'm sure you'd come up with at least three of them. Um, What does genuine biblical saving faith do? It believes. It trusts. It obeys. And you'd be right about all those things. But there's a fourth point I have in that sermon. It's the fourth point that splashed all over the pages of Scripture. But you will not find it in a doctrinal statement anywhere. And it's something you rarely ever hear talked about when we're talking about the essential elements of biblical faith. As I said, it's all over the pages of Scripture. We see it shouting out from the lives of the men and women who really loved God and who really pursued Him with all their hearts. Real faith believes, it trusts, it obeys, and if all those things are happening in your life, it means one more thing will be happening. You will venture on the Word of God. You will have a venturing faith. That's the fourth point in my sermon on true biblical faith. It ventures. Now let me give you a definition of the word venture. It's an undertaking that involves risk. It involves daring. It involves courage. And it involves boldness. True, genuine, biblical faith is a risk-taking faith. It's a risk-taking faith. As I said last week, genuine believers, as does this church, but all true genuine believers, we stand on the Word of God. We learn to lay hold of the promises of the Word of God. And we know that He calls us to act on His promises. But even more we find in our hearts. We discover even more in our hearts. We discover that we have not only the command from the Lord, but we have this desire welling up in our heart. We have an appetite We have this appetite to venture out on the promises and the Word of God. My illustration for that sermon, uh, for that point on venturing out, is Peter, Matthew 14. You remember Jesus was walking on the water? In In the midst of the storm, Jesus is coming to His men, as He always does. They're in the midst of a storm, and here comes Jesus. He's walking on the water. Now, Jesus doesn't command Peter to get out of the boat. He doesn't tell Peter to get out of the boat. He doesn't even ask him to get out of the boat. How come Peter gets out of the boat? Peter wants to get out of the boat. Have you read the story? You know the account? Peter says, Lord, if that's you, remember what he said? Bid me come. This is what happens in a a believer's life. As he matures, as he grows, as he gets in the Word, there's this appetite. There's this appetite and this desire that is birthed in the heart of a true believer. Jesus, Jesus was walking on the water, 
And Peter said, Lord Jesus, bid me come. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't something that he needed to do. It wasn't something God was commanding him to do. It was just something that was welling up in his heart. He says, Jesus, if that's you out there, I want to be with you. Bid me come. And you know what Jesus is going to say every time you ask Him that question? You know what Jesus is going to say every single time you say, Lord Jesus, bid me come. You know what Jesus is going to say every single time you ask Him that question? You know what He's going to say? He's going to say, come. He's going to say, come. He never, he never doesn't say, come. To His people who want to come and walk with Him. Peter didn't care if it was impossible. In fact, it was quite impossible. <laughs> but there he is. <laughs> there he is. There's Peter. He's walking on the water. Friends, true Christianity, it transcends ought and it transcends should. It gets down to desire. It gets down to we love this beautiful God and we're going to go after this beautiful it's not perfunctory religion. It's about desire. How many of you have read this, this excellent little book, Don't Waste Your Life, uh, by John Piper? I love this book. I bet, I've, I bet we've given away hundreds, probably 500 or so by now. It's a great little book. Piper says this, Walking with Christ is always a risk. Always! Somewhere in your life, it is risky to claim Him and to walk with Him and to obey Him. It's just how it is. Obedience will involve risk, and risk is in risk to follow him is always right. You know, I, I know that much of the modern church has domesticated the call to faith. We've dumbed it down into not, nothing really more than just attending church. But that's not the faith you find in the Bible if you actually read your Bible. You know, it's modern faith has become no more than some user-friendly self-help program. But you don't see this in the Bible. God calls His people to risk and to be bold and to be courageous and to trust Him. He, see, he says, come with me. Come with me. You know, Christianity, by and large, has become kind of a tame sort of thing. Friends, that's not the Christianity. That's not what you read in the Bible. <laughs> Just read your Bible. That's not what you see. Christianity is not a, a, a tame little, dusty, sleepy religion. That's not biblical Christianity. We're not to be risk-averse. In fact, I, I share this with you many times, but here's another oxymoron, risk-free Christianity. There's another oxymoron for you. So why does genuine Christianity involve temporal risk? Piper says it like this. It is costly to follow Jesus Christ. There are risks everywhere. This very risk is the means. I love this. You need to hear this. We all need to hear this and understand this. This very risk is the means by which the value of Christ shines more brightly to an unbelieving world. Didn't we see this last week with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It was in their willingness to take risk that God was magnified. Do you remember? And, and Nebuchadnezzar and, and Darius both, they said, this is the great God. Their God is God. He's great. Remember, this is what happens when unbelievers see you stand and take risk for Christ because He's worthy. He's worthy. 
He is seen as preeminently valuable and beautiful and desirable and compelling in your life when you are willing, when you are willing to risk in walking with Him and following Him. It's the mantra of the men and women of Hebrews 11. You know, Hebrews 11 where God says, this is what real faith looks like right here. And He gives you this, this, this avalanche of illustrations. Their lives shouted, Jesus Christ is better than anything this life has to offer, and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. That's what their lives shouted. The way they lived their life said this about Jesus Christ. Last week I told you that I thought I'd spend a week or two talking about why ICM exists, the International Church of Milan, what our purpose is, what our vision is. And I thought it would be good as we talk about these things to, to talk about some principles that undergird this church. Last week we talked about the fact that this church will not compromise on the Word of God. We don't care what church growth specialists tell us. We will not take the edges off the Gospel. We will preach all of God's Word. That's one of the uncompromising principles that does gird this church. We are like Daniel. We saw it last week. What did Daniel do? He made up his mind. I will not compromise the Word of God. And we will not either in this church. We will not compromise the Word of God. Another principle I want to touch on today that undergirds us is we will not be risk-averse in this church. We are aggressively asking Jesus Christ to bid us come. You know, last week I told you about the fact that, that uh, we're claiming that 2,000-year-old promise, that promise that Jesus Christ revealed to John in the Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. It's His promise to the church of Philadelphia. Remember what Jesus says? He says, because you keep My Word and because you don't deny My name, I am going to open a door in front of you that no man can shut. And this is what we're praying for in the International Church of Milan among internationals and among Italians. Among internationals and Italians that the Lord Jesus would open up a door before us and that the Lord Jesus would give us the courage to walk through that door and it doesn't really matter how risky it is or how improbable it is or how impossible it is. By His grace and enabling, we will walk through that door even if we have to get out of the boat. And let me say it this way. Especially. Because I have an appetite for that. I have a desire for that. Because when we get out of our comfort zone, guess who's magnified? Guess who's glorified? The living God. The living God is. Now I know in the eyes of the world, the International Church of Milan is a pretty insignificant little operation. I know that we could not be more inconsequential. Um, in the big scheme of things, as far as the world's concerned, in fact, we are the definition of lily do you know the word Lilliputian? Do you remember Gulliver's Travels and all those little bitty people? They tied Gulliver down and they were this tall, you know? We are the quintessential definition of Lilliputian. In fact, to the world, we're kind of a pathetic group. You know? We're just kind of a pathetic group. But you know, as I thought about this, as I thought about how pathetic maybe the world sees us, I begin to get butterflies in my stomach. Because... Um, uh, I begin to think about how pathetic the manger was. <laughs> you remember? And, and uh, in, the, in the eyes of the world, and, 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 and I started to think about how, in the eyes of the world, how pathetic the cross was. And then, and then I started thinking about 
uh, in the eyes of the world how pathetic that tomb was. Guess what God did with all that? You know, God chose to display His awesome and infinite power through these humble means. This is why I get butterflies when I think about us. Friends, we are qualified. We are qualified for God's work. You know why? You know what, you know what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? He says, you know, God doesn't, he doesn't choose many mighty, many noble, or many wise. God chooses what? The weak thing that He may what? Shame the strong. Friends, we are qualified. Our resume is perfect. We are in a perfect position to be used mightily by God. Because we are so pathetic in the eyes of the world. But we're, we're sons and daughters of the living God, right? And God loves to show His power in simple and weak things. And we qualify. <laughs> we qualify at this church. And then I think about that mustard seed Jesus talks about in Matthew 17, 20. <laughs> you know the text. Jesus says, For truly I say to you, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move you from here and go there. And it shall move. And nothing shall be impossible for you. And beloved, I want to say to you that there are mountains in this city that need to be moved. And there are giants in this place that need to be slain. To do that, we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to have to get out of the boat. And we're going to have to have a venturing faith. We're going to have to be willing to step in front of giants. You know, I know that most of the West, Western world thinks that, you know, we've got risk management down to a fine art and we try, to, we try to manage all the risk out of our lives, but you can't. You know, I think we, we, we tease ourselves. This is an illusion that we can, we can manage all the risk out of our lives. Everything you do is a risk. All the way down to breathing. If you inhale... That may be your last time because you may be bringing that germ in that will knock you out. I mean, every human life is a risk. So let me ask you. You can't cross the street. You can't drive. You can't get in a plane. You get married, it's a risk. You have kids, everything's a risk. Life is replete with risk. So let me ask you, when was the last time you took a risk for Jesus Christ? We take risk every day. Every day. If you get out of bed, it's a risk. Let me ask you, when was the last time you took a risk in obeying and following Christ? When was the last time you ventured out on the Word of God in an uncomfortable way? When was the last time you followed Him and it costs? It costs. Friends, I don't want us to cling to risk-free Christianity in this church. As your pastor, I will always challenge you. I will always challenge you. As God challenges me, Jim, you got to get out of your comfort zone, man. you got to get out of your little boat if you're going to go with me. And I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. I believe that's my obligation as your pastor. And so today I'm exhorting us as a church and as individuals to walk with Christ and that will never be a risk-free proposition. As I did last week, I'm going to challenge you to make up your mind and I'm going to challenge you to walk with God no matter what it costs. No matter what it costs. No more theoretical Christianity for the International Church of Milan. We will resolve to be God's people 
And we will perpetually pray, Lord Jesus, what? Bid us come. Bid us come, Lord Jesus. Bid us come. We are Your people. We love You. Boat or not, storm or not, giant or not, bid us come. That we may magnify You in this place. That Your name may be renowned in this place. And I want to turn briefly to uh, 1 Samuel 17. and Dad was gracious enough to come and read the text for us. I want to illustrate this truth from the life of David. You guys know the story. I'll set the stage for you. Saul is still the king of Israel. Uh, the Philistines have come up to do battle with Israel. And the two armies are facing one another across the valley of Elah. Uh, you heard Dal read the text. And Goliath has come down. He's the champion of the Philistines. You heard Dal read it. This guy is nine feet, nine inches tall. Now for all you Europeans, that's three meters. Okay? And he has all this armor on it. He has, he has 125 pounds of armor on him. For all you Europeans, that's 57 kilos. Okay? And his spear weighs 35 pounds. Verse 7. It's 14 kilos. I mean, this guy, this guy is, is a fighting machine. And he's challenging the armies of God. He says, choose for yourself a man. Verse 8. Let him come down and fight with me. Whoever wins, that will be the winner uh, of the battle. Verse 10, he says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, and when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And I want to say to you, yes, we are a pathetic group of people in the eyes of the world, but we will not be dismayed and we will not be afraid at the International Church of Milan. You know the story. David is tending the flock back home. And his father Jesse asked David to, to bring uh, provisions to three of his older brothers who are on the battle line. So David comes to the battle line. Verse 23-32, through 32, I'm just going to summarize. David hears the words of Goliath. Verse 24, and all the men of Israel saw the man, and they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Verse 26, And David said, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Don't you love this little boy? He is indignant. Who is this that would dare to taunt the armies of my God? Don't you love that? I love that. I love that. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And, the, and these words get back to Saul. And so Saul summons David, and David goes before Saul. Verse 32, and, uh, verse 31, Saul had heard this, and he brings, he brings David into his audience. In verse 32, and David said to Saul, let, let no man's heart fail on account of this guy. I'll go fight him. I'll go fight him. Don't you love this? This little boy. He's a boy. He's going to go fight this giant. About 20 year, years ago in a, in a missions conference, a, a man named Leighton Ford stood in front of a room full of missionaries and, and ministers, and he, he, his sermon was this. He asked them this question. He said, will you burn, will you risk, and will you last? 
And that's my question to you, Christian. If you profess to be a Christian this morning, I'm going to ask you that question. Will you burn? Will you risk? And will you last? The thrust of his message was that the risking and the lasting, it all flows from the burning. David says, who is this that taunts the armies of the living God? Who is this that taunts the armies of my God? David was zealous for the Lord. He was zealous for the Lord. Psalm 69.9, David says, I, the zeal for the house of God consumes me. Let me ask you, is this how you feel? Is this how it is with you and Jesus Christ? Do you have this kind of passion in your heart for your Lord Jesus? Psalm 63.1, you know the words. David says, my soul thirsts for God. My flesh yearns for God. David will risk and David will last because David has that spiritual heartburn. He is passionately in love with his God. This is not some perfunctory religious thing. This is real to him. God is the most real and the most important being in his life. And it made me think of Romans 12, verse 11, where God, God exhorts his people to be fervent in spirit. And if you look at that Greek word translated fervent, it actually literally means to boil in spirit. This is what God is calling His sons and daughters to do. And I love how the message paraphrases Romans 12, 11. It says, it says, keep yourselves, I love this, fueled and aflame. Let me ask you, Christian, this morning. Are you fueled? And are you aflame? God expects His sons and daughters to walk every day fueled and aflame. Is that how it is with you and the Lord Jesus? Are you zealous for the Lord? Does your heart burn? I want you to notice, I want you to notice this about David. He's like Peter. He's under no constraint to go stand in front of this giant. There's no constraint here. There's no command here. There's even no expectation here that he would do this. Why does he do it? He wants to do it. He wants to get in front of this giant. Because this giant is taunting his God. And he's going to have none of that. <laughs> this little boy. This little boy. I love this message. I love this text. He's like Peter, there's no, there's no constraint here, but his heart burns. His heart burns. And yes, the risk is real. In fact, it's a life-threatening risk, but he loves God more than he's concerned about this risk. Don't you love this? Oh, we can, we can learn so much from this boy. We can learn so much from this boy. David's heart is fueled, and it is a flame. It is a flame. David is indignant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I'll go fight. <laughs> I love it. He's just a boy. He probably doesn't weigh a lot more than Goliath's spear. Okay? If it weren't so pathetic, it would be funny. Right? But here he goes. Here goes this little boy. And I'm starting to get butterflies again. But here, here goes this little boy. And he's going to stand in front of this giant. I have no idea who George Otis is. Uh, and I very rarely quote somebody that I don't know. At least I'm somewhat familiar with who they are. I don't know who this guy is. But he said something really, really great. And I wanted to share it with you. God almost never calls his people to a fair fight. I wonder why. Who gets the glory? 
when the weak, pathetic, inconsequential uh, church and God comes down mightily. Who gets the glory? Who gets the glory when a little bitty boy stands in front of a giant? Who gets the glory when, when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, throw us in that furnace. God will save us even if he doesn't. We're not going to compromise on the word of God. Who gets the glory? God almost never calls his people to a fair fight. You've got to love that. You know what? God expects his people to get out of the boat. And God expects his people sometimes to step in front of giants. Friends, we are the sons and daughters of El Shaddai. Do you know what El Shaddai means? God Almighty. We do not cower. We will not be dismayed. Piper says, John Piper says, God does not delight in tidy caution. <laughs> God does not delight in tidy caution. William Carey, I bet Steve could tell you what William Carey said, the father of the modern missions movement. He said, uh, we're to expect great things from God. Remember? And attempt great things for God. Expects great things from God and attempt great things for God. It's that whole Hebrews 11 thing. It's that uncareful life. And I love that phrase, but it really, it really strikes into my heart. The uncareful life. It's a risk-taking faith. Because, you know, friends, when you live an uncareful life, you know what, you know what you're doing? You know what you're doing when you, when you live an uncareful life in faith? You're giving God room to show up and magnify Himself. You know, if you've managed all the risk out of your life, there's not a lot of room for God to show up. But if, if you're living an uncareful life, if you've given yourself over to um, uh, unqualified obedience, God can be magnified in your life. So this little boy, he steps out in front of this giant. And here's the deal. We learn in verses 33 to 37 that this is not a, this is not a big stretch for David because David's been down this road before with God. David's been down this road before. And I like what one commentator says. David has learned God correctly. Let me ask you, have you learned God correctly? Do you know He can be trusted? Do you know He will show up? He will be there with you when the risk comes, when the battle comes. He will be there with you. Do you believe it? David had learned his God correctly. Saul says, you can't go out there. You're just a, a little kid. But it's not about him being a kid. It's about his God being God. And David says, ah, don't worry about it. He says, I've killed a lion and a bear. And God will deliver me from this goofy Philistine just like He delivered me from this lion and this bear. My God is God. He said, I'll go fight him. The thing about it was with David, this, you know, it was a lifestyle with David. Uh, how about you? Is that a lifestyle with you? Trusting God. Obeying God. Without qualification. Without reserve. Is it a lifestyle? It was a lifestyle with David. David said, I'm not worried about it. God will deliver me. Verses 38-39, Saul says, Here you go, you need to take all my armor. You need to wear my stuff. And David says, I don't need your stuff. 
He says, I got all I need. I've got my stick and I'm going to pick up a few rocks and I've got my sling. I've got everything I need. And what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters of the International Church of Milan, we've got everything we need. We've got the Word of God and we've got the Spirit of God. We don't need anything else. I don't need men's methods. I don't need their strategies. I don't need that. We don't need that. We've got more than we need. God is for us. Mm. God is for us. Romans chapter 8. God is for us. David says, I don't need your stuff, man. I got all I need. I'm going to go out and fight this guy. You know what, you know what I've learned as a Christian? And the older I get, the, the more it's, it's uh, confirmed to me. You know what? You know what being a Christian comes down to many, many times? It comes down to showing up. You know, because if you'll just show up, if you'll just, when God's calling you to a thing and the battle is, it needs to be fought and the giant is standing there, if you'll just show up, guess who else is going to show up? God's going to show up. And God's going to deliver. God's going to deliver. Friends, are you showing up? Are you showing up? When God calls you to your mark, I love what, what, what God says to King Jehoshaphat, who was hopelessly outnumbered. You guys probably know the story. God comes to King Jehoshaphat and he says, Do not fear, be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. It is mine. Our God's a warrior. Our God is a warrior. He says, O oh, Judah, do not fear, be dismayed. Go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. I am with you, says the living God. That's what David knew. He didn't live a careful life anymore. You know, he didn't... I wish I had a blackboard. You know, he didn't live in that little box anymore that most, that most moderns live in. It's this little bitty box that I can control and manage. And I'm not going to take any risk. I'm not going to get outside that box where it's uncomfortable and where God has to show up or I'm toast. You know? David didn't live in that box anymore. David didn't live in that box. All he had was a stick and a couple of rocks and a sling, but he had one more thing. He had the living God. And he had faith in the living God. He had faith in the living God. And oh yes, he stepped in front of this giant with a raging love for his beautiful God. And I want to say this to you. God has a raging love for this little boy. And there's no way God's not going to show up. And what I want to say to you, whatever giant is in your life, there is no way God is not going to show up. It can't happen. He loves you. And He's with you. And He will be with you. What does He say? I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. and never forsake you. Verse 42 through 50. Well, you guys know. Here's, here's the great story. And he walks down to the Philistine. and The Philistine has disdain for David. Verse 32. And he says, This kid's a punk. And 43. And he says, Am I a dog that you send a little kid with sticks? And he cursed David. Verse 44. And he says, uh, The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the air. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Verse 46. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into My hands. And I will strike you down. I get excited when I read this. This little bitty boy is facing this giant. This This is the International Church of Milan. We're pathetic in the eyes of the world. But we stand in the power of the living God. Look what he says. And I will give the dead bodies of all the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth... Look at this. We saw this last week. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That my God is God. This is why Daniel did what he did. This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did what he did. To show the unbelievers around him that God is real. God is worthy. God is valuable. And God can be trusted. Verse 47. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by the sword or by the spear. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. And then it happened that the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. And look at this. David quickly ran toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and he took the stone from it and he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Verse 50, Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and he struck the Philistine and he killed him and he took his head off. Oswald Chambers says, God brings us to the place where we have to, where He asks us to believe Him and obey Him. But all too often we debate with Him. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives, and we have to decide for God or against God. <laughs> that, that, that happens for every, every professed Christian. Every man or woman who professes to be a Christian, there's going to come that point in your life. It's going to happen. It's going to come. And you're going to have to decide for God or against God. You remember what happened at Kadesh Barnea? God had brought His people to the promised land. He had promised it to them numerous times. In fact, He'd just given them a fresh promise. I'm going to give it to you. But what happened? They would not go in. Why would they not go in? There were giants in the land. It looked a little bit risky. And you know what happens when, when we fail to obey and, and act? When it looks a little risky, you know what we're basically saying? I know we would never articulate this, but you know what we're saying? We're saying, God, you're not God enough for me. I know what you say, I know what you promise, but I don't believe you. You're not really God enough. One of the principles of this church is that we believe God is God enough. And there are mountains in this place and there are giants in this place. And we need to be willing to get out of the boat and we need to be willing to step in front of these giants. But that's not going to happen. You know, it's not, it doesn't do me any good to challenge you to risk unless you are in love with God. You will not risk unless you are in love with God. So let me ask you, does your heart burn for your Lord? for your Savior. Beloved, I, I say this many, many times. God didn't bring you here for a paycheck. He didn't bring you here just for a paycheck. He brought you here and He brought you to this church. He brought your burning heart here that you might join us. That we might tell that mountain to move 
and that we may stand before giants and expect them to fall before us. And I invite you, and if you're not praying every single day for God to pour His Spirit out in this place, I want to exhort you to pray every single day. And not only that, to expect God to come in power. We're not going to have enough room for all the people that are going to want to come here. We're not going to have enough room. Hallelujah. <laughs> because God's going to come down in great power. Yes, ICM is insignificant. We are inconsequential and we are the definition of Lilliputian. We are pathetic in the eyes of the world, but that gives me butterflies because we're qualified to be as mightily of God. And I'm going to close with this. God says to people like you and me, people who, who just don't know any better than to just believe Him and trust Him. God says this to people like you and me, do not fear and be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, it is mine. Do not fear and be dismayed. Go out and face them, for I am with you. Thank you, Father. You're an awesome God. Trustworthy God. Father, we have a raging love for you in our hearts. But I know something better. You have a raging love for us and yours. God, use us mightily. Use us mightily. In Christ's name. Amen. I thought we'd take a few minutes again as we did last week. and We might just take a few minutes as Adam plays. And Last week I challenged you to make up your mind about how it was going to be with you and God. And this week I'm just going to challenge you to, to pray that, that prayer. Lord Jesus, bid me come. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, give me the faith and the courage and the boldness I need to face the giants that are in my life. Lord Jesus, help me plug into this church. Let me give to this church of my prayers, of my time, of my money. Father, help, help me plug into this church. And oh God, we're going to expect you to show up and do a mighty thing in this pathetic little church. As far as the world's concerned, we're going we're to expect you to show up and do a mighty thing here. Because you're an awesome and mighty God. So I thought we'd just take a few minutes and just pray for the church. Pray for your individual situation. Ask God to, to give you the courage and the boldness that you need to face the giants that are in your life. And, and corporately, as a church, to face the giants that we face in the church. If you feel led to pray out loud, please feel free.